1: To nascar coast to coast presented by wheel and engineering also brought to you by hercules tire here on the motor racing network i'm hannah newhouse alongside my co-host kyle ricky out in the good old state of connecticut it's been beautiful weather here in the north carolina area and that means short tracks were able to do plenty of racing over the weekend and kyle hickory motor speedway hosted twin late model events where a new winner found his way to victory lane not once but twice.
2: This is like the third week in a row we get to talk about Hickory Motor Speedway because we really didn't talk about them much a year ago uh, because of the shutdown. But uh, good to see Hickory back in action. Rajak Baruth driving for Rev Racing, uh, the Drive for Diversity program, was able to capture his first feature win in the late model stock cars and then turn around about a 90 minutes or so later and win the second part of the doubleheader. In fact, that second race was able to hold off a, a former uh, drive-for-diversity driver with Rev Racing, uh, Gracie Trotter. So, uh, great field of cars for the late models at Hickory, and, and always good to see a new winner in victory lane.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He has a full plate this season as well, a uh, competitor in the ARCA E-Series, dabbling in the Advanced Auto Parts uh, Weekly Series as well with Rev Racing. And you would mentioned an old teammate, Gracie Trotter, but he also had three more teammates in that race itself, LeVar Scott, Isabella robusta. And uh, Regina Servant were in that. So Rev Racing has a full plate of late model racers this season. Cool to see that. He's got an interesting background, and we'll talk to him about it here shortly because is going to join us here in studio NASCAR or at Motor Racing Network. Uh, but he's got an interesting background, Kyle. Often we talk about people that come into the sport, and they had started at go-karts at four five and worked their way up. But we're seeing more and more iRacing has been the start to some of these drivers' careers.
2: I mean, you think two years ago, he's 18 now. Two years ago he was sixteen and had not been on the racetrack in real life yet. Uh as you mentioned, he grew up in Washington, DC, not a whole lot of racing there. And he, he took to the iRacing platform. And you mentioned it, like so many others, I feel like becoming the norm where drivers are are getting recognized via what they do on the internet. And uh Rev Racing took notice of Raja and and he was been able to to secure a pretty solid ride, um, like you mentioned, in, in ARCA East and in the late model program over the last couple of years and still adapting to real-life racing, but I'm sure using a lot of that experience that he gained on, on the virtual world here in the real world these last two seasons.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely an interesting story to follow. Again, we're seeing more and more of it as times continue, people getting their starts in sim racing. But we're going to take a quick break, and then Raja will join us here in studio here on NASCAR Coast to Coast.
0: Whelan Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry, designs and manufactures reliable and powerful warning lights. Whelan also produces white illumination lighting, sirens, controllers, and high-powered warning systems for automotive, aviation, and mass notification industries worldwide. Every part of every Wheeland product is proudly designed and manufactured in America and is tested on-site to meet the toughest industry certifications. Whelan Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry, trusted to perform since 19.
2: Ride on our strength.
1: This past weekend at Hickory Motor Speedway, there was twin late model races, and they found a single winner visit victory lane in both of them, and he joins us now here in the studio. Raja Kruth joins us as the winner of both of those. First and foremost, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to come over here and hang out with us at NASCAR Coast to Coast, and congratulations on not one, but two wins this weekend.
3: Definitely. Thanks for having me, Hannah.
1: So. You get into victory lane in your first race. It's a pretty quick turnaround. I've been to Hickory Motor Speedway. You don't have much time. You're back in the second one when you finally visited victory lane for the second time. Was that when it was all able to all settle in and realize, hey, I've got two victories in the same night?
3: I would say, yeah, definitely that the first one kind of fell into our lap. But the second one, that was pretty fun race. So uh, definitely uh, getting out the start-finish line. I don't know if you saw on the race broadcast, but I can't really do a burnout. So that that was kind of funny. But uh it's, yeah, definitely after that second one, it kind of sunk in.
2: Held off Zach Clifton in race number one. Held off Gracie in, in race number two. How, how tight was it there at the front of the field for those two events?
3: Definitely, um, Kyle. It, uh, that first one, like I said, it kind of really just worked out for us. Um, and that second one, racing hard with Gracie for that last 25 laps. I mean, I, I told her after, I was like, thank you. I owe you one because I guarantee anybody else would have driven through me. So um, that was a blast. And uh, it was it was fun to, to to go race like that
1: it's definitely nice when you have people you're racing with that you trust that you know they're not going to drive through your door and gracie is definitely one of those drivers uh we can talk about hickory a little bit more but i want to talk about your full season you've got a pretty full plate this year with the arca e series coming off of a fourth at five flags also dabbling in the advanced auto parts series uh how are you tackling this season because it's a full plate for you with rev racing
3: definitely and i'm still in school and, and i'm still doing now racing stuff so i definitely got a lot on my plate but it's it's pretty simple i mean i'm just at the shop working on our ARCA or late model stuff, and then at home doing homework or, or sim racing. So um, it's definitely a lot of stuff going on, but um, I got a good group of guys around me at Rev Racing, um, and it's, it's pretty cool right now.
2: Two starts in the ARCA Menards East Series, an 11th at New Smyrna, a fourth at Pensacola, as Hannah mentioned. What were some of the big takeaways for you in those two races, much heavier stock cars, much different than, than the NASCAR All-America, or the uh, Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series late models?
3: Man, I'm going to be honest. At Pensacola, I was falling out the seat. Like lap 40, man, (laughs) I was like, there's no way I'm finishing this race. But um, I think from that point on, it was kind of ever since Pensacola, I've kind of realized, right, I got to do a little bit better job with making sure I'm right for Nashville and Dover. So um, it was a pretty big learning curve. I won't say it was as big as going from uh, Legend cars to late models last summer, but um, really from late models to ARCA stuff has not been as difficult as I thought it would be, but definitely not to undersell it at all. Um, and I'm excited to go to go to places like Dover and Milwaukee, like bigger places. I mean, I've only been to like a half mile before. So um, to go to these different places and learning how radials feel and uh, learning how to manage lo- longer races as well and to have brake fans to play with. So many different variables now. So it's uh, pretty cool.
1: That's crazy to think how you ultimately got here. You know, you talk about going to Dover for the first time. That is an insane racetrack. Even as a fan, the first time I remember standing in the infield and watching them bonsai into turn one i'm I'm excited for you to experience that as a driver um we talked about the transition though from legends late models to arca car well let's talk about how you got here essentially we talked about it a little bit uh at the beginning with iRacing we're seeing more and more of that not but a handful of years ago it seems though you'd never raced a stock car before you had primarily iRacing experience got picked up and noticed by Rev Racing. Talk about that journey and ultimately what led you to Rev Racing.
3: Definitely. I, I would say I'm pretty fortunate to be like where I'm at right now. I mean, I got on iRacing the summer that they started the Ignite, Ignite series um, and was able to make some waves in that. And that way I was able to make the the Drive for Diversity youth program. And I mean, the rest is kind of history. I mean, to, to get on sim racing was somewhat lucky just because, I mean, I'm from Atlanta. I grew up in D.C., so I didn't really have any connection in the racing world. Um, not to mention, really, the closest thing to DC is like Southside, and now Southside's closed. So, um, definitely, going the sim racing route was—I uh, was definitely fortunate to get noticed through there. Um, and I mean, it's a lot of people have helped me. I mean, um, definitely, I, I would say I, I've—I grew up with, I guess, food on, on the sh- on food on the table and clothes on my back, but we weren't a racing family, so that none of that was really an option. So to be in this program, I'm I'm extremely lucky.
2: So you're from Atlanta. Uh, you grew up in Washington, D.C. You're not from a racing family. How would you get involved? or What sparked your interest in motorsports?
3: Good chow. So it was, uh, it was Lightning McQueen, man. And <laughs> I, was, I was four when that came out. I hate to make you guys feel old. but um, Yeah, me too. <laughs> it, uh, that's really where it started, man. And uh, it's really just gone from an interest to a passion. And I'll tell you, it's past an obsession now. I mean, I played basketball in high school and middle school. I played soccer. I ran track. Um, my eye did other stuff, and but racing was always a constant in my mind. I mean, even um, coming home from school when I first got on iRacing, I mean, I would skip track patches sometimes just to hop on the sim, um, and really my weekends would be, uh, I guess, taken over by what cup races were going on, uh, happy hour on Friday when they did happy hour and, and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, that's really how it started, and I went to my first race at Richmond Raceway in 2014. Um, and then went to Dover, went to Charlotte, Pocono and whatnot. So started to understand kind of how all the things work and then uh just like I said, it really just snowballed from um from the initial interest and then going to my first races.
1: I mean, living the dream, basically. Definitely. It started with, like you said, a dream and you're here. And we talk more and more about eye racing in the sport, sim racing. It's becoming prominent in drivers, you know, prep coming into the races. And we're seeing more and more, you know, you can say Byron kind of got his start with i racing. Josh Berry just won last weekend at Richmond. He claims iRacing is his start as well. And we continue to talk about how this is the next open door opportunity for people to get their start. How do you view that as, you know, someone who's living this story right now and potentially opening the door for other sim racers or racers that are looking to make a legitimate career in a stock car?
3: 100%. I mean, like I said, I mean, I had no connections, no way really to get into the sport. So Sim racing kind of bridges that gap for people, and I've got friends that are in sim racing now that are trying to get into drive for diversity or try to parlay those connections into running bandos or legend cars somewhere. So that's really, I think, where things are trending to with how innovative and how close the sim is getting. I think that definitely will be the next half a decade to a decade. I mean, that's going to be even more of a legitimate uh, roadmap to getting into the sport.
2: I know every SIM rig is different, uh, but from your SIM rig to the racetrack, how close is it? And, and what, uh, what are some of the big things that you noticed that were different? Obviously the, you know, you don't get that seat of the pants feel when you're, you're SIM racing, but you know, how close is it from, from when you got behind the, the wheel for the first time?
3: I would say there are a lot of similarities and differences. I mean, my SIM seats rig was, uh, is, is pretty, pretty comfortable. Um, shout out SIM seats. The, but, uh, I mean, in terms of the sim itself, I mean, the, the visual stuff is, is pretty spot on, especially with uh, kind of reference points and how the racetrack is. Um, for example, last year I would never been to Myrtle Beach, and then we I, I did a little bit of work on the sim, and then we went there and weren't too bad. So kind of going to places for the first time, and when we go to Nashville and we go to Dover and so on, I mean, I was able to, to test a little bit with New Smyrna and Pensacola on the sim, and the visual stuff is there but it's been um the, that's one of the biggest learning curves that i've had to deal with is understanding how to take in information not just from my eyes and what i'm hearing but through my hands through my whole body and trying to understand you know what the car actually does and and what changes do and really not only from that but from also being at the shop and working on it myself and seeing all right I know how much of a pain it is to build this and get this done. So let's not tear the nose off. Like let's not wipe the right side off of qualifying. So um, definitely a whole lot of things I've learned in the last, not even been a year, if I'm going to be honest. And um, it's been pretty awesome. And
1: that's something we always talk about, Kyle, that we appreciate drivers getting in the race shop, learning how these cars work. And I will say it feels like forever ago now. I mean, it was probably 2013 when I was introduced to iRacing. I didn't get a chance to go test at Phoenix. And someone said, get on iRacing, turn some laps, get on there with someone, and I was like, that is not going to help me. And to say that I felt more prepared walking into that race that we were going to get one practice session, qualifying race the same day was amazing. So I can only imagine with all of the improvements that have been made since then. Um, But Rev Racing, you've been with them three years now, started there in the Legend program, worked your way up. You've got teammates being, you know, Regina, you've got Isabella, um... Lavar, a couple other drivers as well. What is that rapport like over at Rev Racing and being a part of that team now for for three years?
3: Definitely, it's it's kind of like a little like school group kind of. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest, like kind of like yeah, a, lunch a table. It's a
1: young, it's a young exactly. group of drivers over there now.
3: Definitely, it's like a lunch table. I mean, it's <laughs> cool. We we do stuff all the time. I mean, I'm doing school work. Virginia's doing school work. Isabella's doing school work. So it's cool. And then we have little basketball games and stuff. But at the same time, what I really like, especially about our like our late model group, is that. Um, with Mark Green, we've kind of got a routine going of, like, all right, Mondays, we're here, we're unloading, we're cleaning our stuff, we're putting the straps in a correct and, and orderly fashion and stuff. And um, Definitely, I mean, it's it's awesome. I mean, um, it's weird to think, like, I somewhat have a leadership role now, even though I have, like, less total racing experience <laughs> than, like, all of them. So um, that's kind of weird to think about, but it's definitely fun. I mean, they're all really good kids, and um, it, it's cool to, to answer their questions and be there for them.
2: We've talked about the ARCA East schedule uh, quite a bit. What's your schedule look like? Obviously ARCA East, how much late model racing are you able to do around uh, the ARCA schedule?
3: Definitely. So we've got, you know, six more ARCA races uh, in the East series. And uh, I think what's, what's 18 minus four, 14 more late model races. And math sucks. <laughs> and um, in addition, um, I'm, I'm competing in the e Road to Pro Series. So hopefully I can maybe be in the Coke Series next year. I mean, I, I told uh, Chase Gabriel I was like, I do I'm going to see if I can be the first one to win an Arca and Coke. I don't know if anybody's done that. So um, if I can uh, do that, that would be cool. But um, besides that, I mean, we're getting some sponsors together, so I can maybe add some different types of racing to my plate, whether it be to go Mazda racing or, or try dirt. I mean, just to kind of open my palate and just be in the race car more often than not. I mean, another thing I was thinking about, I have, like, less than probably 60 total, like, oval races in, like, ever. So. It's pretty. Uh, it's been quick learning curve so far.
1: Got yeah, 60 total races in your entire career, and two of those starts wins at Hickory Motor Speedway. Well, thank you again for so much for coming in here, hanging out with us again. That is Raja Karuth, winner this past weekend at Hickory Motor Speedway. You can find him in the ARCA East Series as well as some of the local short tracks here around the Carolinas. But we're gonna take a quick break. When we return, we've got your Wheel and Engineering NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour Spotlight.
0: Whelan Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry, designs and manufactures reliable and powerful warning lights. Whelan also produces white illumination lighting, sirens, controllers, and high-powered warning systems for automotive, aviation, and mass notification industries worldwide. Every part of every Whelan product is proudly designed and manufactured in America and is tested on-site to meet the toughest industry certifications. Whelan Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry, trusted to perform since 1915.
2: Sir, are you aware you were going 40 miles an hour? This is a residential area. Sure, but I'm on my lawnmower. Wait, am I getting a ticket? No, I've just never seen anyone top 9 miles an hour on one of those bad boys. And mow their entire lawn in 30 seconds? What got into you? Well, it did fuel up at Sunoco this morning. At Sunoco,
0: we know how to fuel peak performance. We've been doing it for American Racing for over 50 years. Fuel your best.
2: Modified Tour driver spotlight. Able to catch up with one of the more successful drivers in the last decade on the Modified Tour, a six-time series champion, Doug Kobe joins us now. Dub, welcome to the show.
4: Thanks, Kyle. How are
2: you today? I am uh, well. Uh, let's uh, jump right in. Talk about your career. Uh, obviously, a lot of folks know you about uh, from your modified success in the open wheel ranks up here in the Northeast, but you also drove some cars with fenders on them. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But even before that, what got you into the sport? Uh, What attracted you to motorsports and ultimately uh, sparked the idea of you wanting to be a driver?
4: Oh, well, I started in quarter midgets like a lot of people do. Um, And it actually was my sister who got us involved. She's a few years older than me. And um, she, uh, my, my parents took us to the local quarter midget speedway at Silver City in Meriden, Connecticut. And uh, my sister saw uh, some girls racing and she wanted to race too. Um, and so we ended up getting a quarter midget that following year. And then my sister ended up not being able to get into the car. So I, I got into the uh, car with some wood blocks on the pedals and a, a pillow from our couch behind me to push me closer to the steering wheel and uh, started that season. And, you know, we, we got involved in racing to begin with because my father was a modified racer uh, at Stafford and Riverside Park. Um, didn't have too much success, but he was always a car guy, um, back in high school and was known throughout the town of, of Milford, Connecticut to have, you know, fast, fast cars ripping around town, getting chased by the cops, I guess. Um, and, and actually my mother's, uh, brother. So my uncle raced quarter midgets when they were kids. So, uh, it was kind of just a natural fit, um, for us to get involved.
2: You mentioned your dad run, ran modifieds, but modifieds wasn't always a part of your path, uh. Was the initial goal stock car racing? I mean, you had a lot of success in late models, pro stocks at Stafford. Um, You know, was that first goal always to to go the stock car route?
4: It was for sure. Um, We had considered going into the Legends cars right after quarter midgets, but at the time, you know, you're talking in the mid 90s, the Legends cars weren't anything that they are today. We probably would have done that. In fact, if we were doing it right now, Um, and my dad basically said, you're racing Stafford next year in a late model, because if you're going to do anything in a race car, you're going to start You're going to learn how to race at Stafford. And if if you can start picking up, uh, tricks and tips and learn how to race there, you'll be good anywhere. And so, yeah, we got a late model for uh, back in 1996 and, um, you know, it was a, a brand new Jay Stewart car. We sold all of our quarter midget equipment to get this, this brand new late model and, um, you know, had. Some, some learning curve from the beginning for sure. I, I remember the first time I, I really ever took the car on the track um it pushed so bad going into turn 1 i drove it straight into the guardrail right where the uh the safer barrier is now up there um so you know spent a couple couple seasons learning the late models and then moved up you know to the pro stocks which you know are kind of i don't want to say they're like a super late model today but they're uh, you know a, certainly a step up from from the Stafford late models and yeah we we planned to go you know bush north racing really was the idea um never to get into a modified my father didn't want me to get into a modified and you know just with the changes going on with the bush north series at the time and the amount of money it took and sponsorship being tight for us basically my whole life um you know we ended up going the sk modified route at stafford and then up to the tour after that
2: do you remember your first tour start? um way back in i think 2001 maybe 2002
4: That was 2002. It was at Stafford, Um, you know, Don King uh, owned the 28 car that Jamie Asklar was driving. Um, And I actually bought my pro stock from the Kings when they moved up to the SKs uh, and the tour modifies with Jamie. Uh, They had their pro stock sitting there that Dave Etheridge was driving the Foxwood cars at Stafford. And, you know, we were moving up so that they hadn't ridden, driven the pro stocks in a year or so. So we bought their pro stock and their son, Donnie followed me through the pro stocks and followed me through the SKs and told his dad, you know, you got to watch, keep an eye on Doug. He's doing really good. And he won a lot in the pro stock. And now, you know, that season in 2002, I won three SK races uh, in my first full SK season. So I actually remember it very clearly. Don came up to me. It was probably uh, a mid-August you know, Friday night, he was with Eddie Flemke at Stafford. And right over by the, um, the picnic tables by the, uh, by the pit food stand there, uh, he came over to me and said, you know, hey, you know, we've been, you know, we need a driver and we like what you've been doing here at Stafford. So what do you think about driving the tour car for the fall final? So it was the fall final of 2002, uh, my first tour start in the 28 car. And then uh, funny enough, after that, the very first racetrack I ever drove in a full-size car that wasn't Stafford Speedway was a tour modified at Martinsville uh, a couple of weeks later. And uh, certainly not my most impressive uh, results. If you want to look that one up, you can uh, check out the start and finishing position there. So a lot
2: of highs and lows in the first decade of your career from, from 2002 to 2012 and then 2012 rolls around and uh, something happened. I mean, uh, what clicked? Because, you know, you've been in the top three in the championship standings about every year since 2012.
4: Yeah, I mean, what clicked was I got older and I got more mature and I really understood the tour and learned from the, uh, the veteran drivers at the time. And I, I kind of knew in those seasons that I didn't have a full time ride, which basically was 2008 to 2010. Uh, you know, I did have a full time ride in 11, it was split between uh, two cars. Um, but I learned in those years that I was feeling like I was getting better. You know, I felt like I was at my best. I felt like I understood how to manage the race and manage the tires. And um, I, I learned all the competitors kind of inside and out. And those were the years that I was like, man, if I could get in a, a full-time ride, I think this is probably the best I've been. Um, I'm not, you know, not as out of control as I was when I was younger and I'm a lot more patient. And, you know, 2012 rose along and, and here we are with the 52 team. And, We, you know, finished fifth in points in 2011 with, um, a split season between kind of two car owners and two cars. So we knew we were running well, you know, we had one at Thompson that 2011 season. Um, and then here comes, you know, 2012 and just started clicking right off the bat with good finishes. And it was right about that year that I learned that if you're going to win championships on the tour, you got to finish every race. And my goal from there on out has always been to get a top 10 in every single race of the tour season and you're probably gonna be in the, the points lead or at least contending by the time the last race of the year rolls around and uh, still never managed to accomplish that, um, that feat of getting a top 10 in every tour race during the course of the season, um, but came really close uh, of course And uh, 2012, won a bunch of races and, and won that championship.
2: Six championships since, uh, is there one of those six that stand out above the others?
4: Yeah, the first one for sure. Um, you know, that, uh, that was unexpected. Uh, I think from a lot of standpoints, not only just from me as a driver, but I think us as a team, I don't think anybody really expected the 52 team that year to, uh, have what it took to contend at every race, you know, we won at big tracks. We won at small tracks. Uh, we wanted staff started winning at Stafford a whole lot, uh, with that team. And I, that one, you know, to, to reach that point after, uh, I, I want to say kind of what I went through. I mean, I, I went through some lean years, let's say, um, but to get that championship when it was unexpected was uh, pretty satisfying. Um, you know, I'd also say that the one in 2014, my first one driving for Mike Smiraglio was um, pretty important for me from a mindset, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen when I changed teams. Um, And then we, we ended up going out there and, you know, we didn't dominate the season. We were just super consistent. Uh, We had one win that season, but it was enough to keep us in the points lead. Uh, And and we just kind of managed to pull that one off. So that was, you know, also something that I'll remember, Um, you know, the other ones are all special, but those first two uh, certainly take the cake.
2: And now you go into your second year as a car owner
4: on the NASCAR Wheel
2: and Modified <laughs> Tour. Yunder oh, boy. Two, yeah. What kind of a challenge was that a year ago, uh, trying to start up a team? Uh, what kind of challenge what, was
4: that challenge? Yeah. What, what kind of challenge was that or is that? Uh, you know, it's a challenge every week uh, to to contend against, you know, Justin and Craig Lutz and Ronnie Silt's team. I mean, these guys are all on the top of their game. And, you know, instead of just showing up you know, and focusing on driving, there's just a lot more for me to focus on in terms of, you know, making sure everything's prepared and making sure that um, all the crew guys are where they want to be. And and I got to think a few races down the road, uh, you know, moving around equipment and where we're going to race. So it's been a challenge for sure. Um, I'm not necessarily sure, you know, that that's that this is my forever future of being a car owner and running my own deal, but it's what I had to do. Uh, to keep my race team together, to keep the people together and uh, to keep this rolling along with our sponsors, you know, Mayhew Tools and Reynolds Auto Wrecking, Moduleski's Towing, um, all these people who helped me out a ton when I was with the two team. I just didn't want to see it go away. Um, so for me, it was the most logical choice to keep us running up front. And I think last year in the nine races that we put together on the tour, I think we proved that no matter who owns the car, uh, our team's still going to run up front. And we're building equipment. We're building, you know, moving some people around and uh, trying to to get better every week. And that's a big challenge. But um, you know, so far it's been great, and it's it's great because I have great people supporting me uh, from uh, you know Steve Pickens and uh, John Lawless and, and all the people who you know actually helped me out financially to then of course the crew guys and and Phil Moran, and my crew chief working on the car to get it get it there every week.
2: Doug, appreciate the time. Best of luck to you when you get back on the track.
4: Yeah, thanks, Kyle.
2: Thanks for having me. Doug Kobe, this week's Wheelin' Engineering Modified Tour Driver Spotlight.
0: Whelan Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry, designs and manufactures reliable and powerful warning lights. Whelan also produces white illumination lighting, sirens, controllers, and high-powered warning systems for automotive, aviation, and mass notification industries worldwide. Every part of every Wheeland product is proudly designed and manufactured in America and is tested on-site to meet the toughest industry certifications. Whelan Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry, trusted to perform since 1915.
1: Hard to believe that we're almost to the month of May, but season, or racetracks all across the country still continuing to have their opening nights, including this past weekend. Las Vegas Motor Speedway's The Bull Ring, it's been about two years since they've been able to open for a season. They were able to do so this past weekend with the Pro Late Model Series headlining. Jeffrey Peterson taking the win over Tanner Reef. And Cody Kemo. Also the Dells raceway hosted their icebreaker, where it was Luke Fenhouse over John D'Angelis Jr. and Jordan Devi. Tri County hosted late model stocks where it was Braden Rogers over Jacob Hefner and Blake Stallings. And also the Nashville Fairground Speedway opened up their season with pro late models. It was Michael House over Jake Garcia and Jackson Boone. And I know you had some racing up there as well, Kyle.
2: Apparently we were breaking the ice everywhere last weekend because the Berlin Raceway and uh, Michigan also had their icebreaker. Boris Yurkovic took down the race win over Eric White and Tyler Roerig. Uh, the daughter-dad combo finished sixth and second. Lauren Bush, who we had on the show, I believe, a year or two ago, uh, she finished sixth. Joe Bush finished in seventh. Their next event uh, this coming weekend featuring the super late models. South Boston Speedway in action. They hosted twin late model features. Peyton Sellers, Uh, Held off Mike Looney in both events. Jacob Borst up there in the top three as well, along with Aaron Donnelly. Uh, Next up for South Boston, the Late Model 100 on Saturday, May 1st. Riverhead Raceway, they have not opened their season, but it's coming in just over a week on May 1st. They had a full pit area of practice last weekend at the Riverhead Raceway on Long Island. Another track that is uh, dying to reopen their doors as they were uh, pretty quiet a year ago. Of course, last weekend, uh, last couple of weeks, we talked about Riverhead holding not one, not two, but three NASCAR Wheeland Modified Tour events this season. So they kick off their season on May 1st, just over a week away.
1: Yeah, and usually at the beginning of the year, Kyle, we have a couple weeks where we uh, have sparse racing, and we're usually trying to come up with something, but this upcoming weekend is not one of them. It is a full-packed weekend of racing, both at the short track level in NASCAR's regional touring divisions as well, with the ARCA Menard Series being back in action at the high banks of Talladega. Always an interesting race when the ARCA Series visits these big racetracks uh it is friday 1 p.m eastern time for the general tire 276 laps you can catch that on fs1 also on the motor racing network we will be broadcasting that as well 29 cars on the entry list kyle one of them you're a pretty big fan of
2: <laughs> yeah and then well a lot of folks never heard of them uh michael harper uh gonna make his debut at talladega driving for andy hellenberg He is the driver of the Outlaw Monster Truck, has been involved in the monster truck industry for four years. And every time I see him in the garage, in the NASCAR world, he and Chris Buescher are good friends. So every time he's at the track with Chris, we always uh, find time to chat about monster truck racing from uh, the past and present. So I can't wait to see Michael out there. It's a good field. Uh, Can anybody beat Ty Gibbs? I think is the big story. Um, He's so strong on these bigger and shorter tracks. Andy Jankowiak. Uh, I know uh, is looking to carry a lot of momentum he had in Daytona to Talladega. Uh, Gracie Trotter trying to redeem herself after the uh, the bump draft gone wrong in Daytona um, at Talladega. Brett Holmes, Drew Dollar, Corey Heim, just some of the favorites for this weekend's race.
1: Yeah, and I'll be busy this weekend at Orange County Speedway with the Cars Tour as they have the Old State North or Old North State Nationals. I'll have that <laughs> down by this weekend. $30,000 to win for late model stock drivers. It is a Saturday and a Sunday show in correlation with the Carolina Pro Late Model Series. Uh, they got a pretty stacked entry list there. You can watch that on Pit Row TV, so we'll all be doing that. Kyle, you're going to be at Stafford Motor Speedway with the NASCAR wheel Modified Tour.
2: Yeah, their second event of the season. Good entry list there. Just shy of 30 right now. No sizzler a year ago. First time in 49 years that there was no Spring Sizzler. Doug Kobe won the last edition of the race in 2019. Um, Eric Goodale, obviously, picking up the race win just a couple of weeks ago at Martinsville. The race can be seen on NBC Track Pass Live on Sunday or tape delayed next Thursday, April 29th at 5.30 p.m. on NBCSN.
1: Lots of racing this weekend. If you have the opportunity to get out, support your local short tracks. If you can't, again, lots of viewing options for those racetracks across the country. Again, we want to thank Raja Ruth for coming in here, hanging out with us, and congratulations on those wins this past weekend. Best of luck to all the drivers this weekend. I'm Hannah Newhouse for Kyle Ricky, and producers Alexa Henry and Julian Council. We will see you guys next week here on NASCAR Coast to Coast.